social media bans are not because it's a bunch of liberals, you know, at Facebook and Twitter that, that don't want all this being heard. They simply don't want the discourse. I'm Shane Corey, and this is the inaugural show of Independent Citizen. We're going to be planning to start this probably in a week or two, building a studio out. But with all the events that are going on, um, which we're going to talk about on this uh, first show, I thought it was important just to get out here, get a voice going, because so many are being silenced right now. Uh, before we get started, uh, probably helpful that I give a little bit of background on myself. But before I do that, behind the camera is Wes, who is our producer uh, and uh, going to be a, a voice and conversationalist here as we go forward. Um, Wes has been with me for years and years and uh, has kind of been a, a veteran in everything we do. Uh, from my background, started with the Marine Corps, got out, and for some reason ended up in politics. Uh, my first uh, gig in politics was uh, replacing the executive director at Judicial Watch in the 90s during the Clinton administration. And from there, uh, started my own firm, uh, ended up being an executive director for Project Veritas, executive director, a lot of executive directors of uh, the Libertarian Party during my Don Quixote days, thinking third parties could have an impact. Turned out that was not the case. Uh, and today I'm a, a strategist for a number of different clients, candidates, uh, and raise a lot of money. Um, if you receive emails, text messages from organizations or have over the last 20 something years, good chance you've read something I've written good chance you've probably responded by donating and supporting somebody, which I greatly appreciate everything we do, everything I do, um, I do from the heart. Um, but let me make it clear, I'm not a conservative. Uh, I'm not a liberal. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a uh, Republican either, in no way, shape or form. I am completely independent. Now, I do skew libertarian, obviously, having run the Libertarian Party for a number of years. Um, but I'd consider myself more of a wandering libertarian because honestly, I don't know the solutions. Um, you know, my, my thing, um, main ideology is to advance liberty. And that's what I spent most of my career doing over the last 20 something years. Um, can't say it's worked out very well because we're back probably in a worse spot than we were when I started doing this stuff. Um, but it's a matter of just moving forward and making small gains. Um, but unfortunately, especially over the last four to six years, um, it's gotten bad. And we're going to see things escalate further away from liberty. Um, very soon, it's happening right now. So I'm going to jump right into what's been happening. Today is, uh, we're going to be uh, airing this tomorrow after Wes does his editing. So it's Monday the 11th. Over the weekend, we saw actually starting... Uh, late, was it Friday, Wes, um, where President Trump was banned on Facebook, banned on Twitter, PayPal, you name it, he was limited. Even uh, Stripe, which is the back end of how you need to process your credit cards for donations online, shut down the Trump campaign's fundraising capabilities. So as of this moment, they're not allowed to even take online donations to be able to fund Honestly, they shouldn't be raising any money right now anyway. Um, that's a whole different show. But um, they've been pushed out of existence. On top of that, you have, um, in addition to Facebook and Twitter, with the purges that have been going on for over a decade now, 
um, you've had new social platforms emerge. Parler, you've probably heard of that, is one of them. Parler was just um, last night at midnight taken down because they host their backend databases on what's called AWS, Amazon Web Services. Not a bright idea because Amazon has been known to cancel accounts for political speech. Uh, but for whatever reason, Parler was running on that platform. They're notified that they had to implement a policy on moderation, or was that the App Store? I forget. Anyway, they, they were knocked off, the site's down, nobody can use a platform. So everybody's now migrating to even more fringe platforms like Gab and some others that I've never even heard of. Um, Gab doesn't necessarily have a good reputation, um, given that I was just talking to a close friend of mine who is Jewish, and uh, she was telling me how that it's filled with a bunch of Nazis. Now, that term was thrown around quite a bit, but in this case, literal Nazis um, operate unfettered on the platform, which, uh, in my opinion, they have a right to speech as well. I don't agree with it, but that's where they exist uh, in today's internet. But if we go back to um, just a few years ago, Twitter especially started this purge, uh, I believe it was around 2016. And by May of 2019, 526,000 accounts have been banned for political speech. Today, and they stopped publishing these numbers, it's probably in the millions. So anybody that has a political viewpoint contrary to not the mainstream, but contrary to the left, um, or could be seen as intolerant, whether it's deemed racist, threatening, bullying, what have you, their account's banned. There's very little pill. There's nothing you can do about it. And unfortunately, I'm not a big social media user, but um, it's a, it's an addiction for a lot of folks. And so when you're banned, um, I can only imagine the impact that has on an individual in their life. Um, if you think about it, uh, Wes and I were discussing this this morning. Um, if your phone is blowing up constantly because you are an influencer, you're popular on a social media platform, you're literally glued to your phone throughout the day. And once you're banned, you're silenced. It's like you don't exist anymore. And the natural reaction for somebody to ban who's banned is to say they've had their First Amendment stripped away or, or you know, claim censorship in reality. Um, that's not the case. Um, these are corporations. They have a right to make their own rules. If they choose to eliminate one normed tilt-to-whirl operators, they can do that. They can, they can ban anybody they want, just as in the same way. And it, you know, of course, this was a legal fight for this small business owner for quite some time. But the, that guy, remember this, that wanted to ban or, or refused to make baked cakes for gay couples and had to go to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees fighting that because of his religious beliefs. He chose not to have that clientele. In my business, I choose not to work with some certain folks too, just because they don't align with my own, align with my own political beliefs. And that's my right to do so. It's right for any business to choose who they want to associate with. So it's not a First Amendment issue. Nobody's paying for these accounts. Even if they were, they can choose not to take their money and kick them off the account. So for it to be considered a First Amendment issue is a falsehood. This is a right that these companies hold. Now, the issue is they're not honest about how they conduct business. They're not, they'll, they'll make up, if you take a look at the reasons Trump was banned, and we'll have to pull that up, um, 
they translated his tweets in the most extreme way possible. Now, I'm no fan of President Trump. Um, I uh, wrote something about that that we'll post in a link uh, back. I actually endorsed him in 2016. And I think the title of the endorsement was My Drunk Monkey, Why I Am Voting for President Trump. Um, and being a libertarian, I think uh, Trump represented the best opportunity to break up the establishment, which did not happen. Um, didn't happen at all. We still had Obamacare, the tax cuts. Those weren't tax cuts. Those were fake. Those were adjustments and, and deductions. Um, so many other things that were promised but never delivered because even Trump, who was not establishment, could not take on the establishment. He also wasn't conservative. He was a populist. So whole different issue there. Going back to the bans. Um, so you have Twitter, you know, by middle of the year, uh, it, last year, or actually 2019, half a million people banned, probably millions today. Facebook does something differently. So they do target individuals, um, but they use algorithmic bans. So there are different levels of bans with Facebook. So if you're, I, I don't know what the levels are, say, uh, level four ban. Uh, Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos has this ban. You can't even talk about Milo on Facebook. It's not that he's not allowed to post content. He does not exist on Facebook um, just because they've they built him into the algorithm that you can't even talk about um, this one individual. And so a lot of folks have that level ban, which is the most extreme. Um, others are simply their accounts are banned. Um, and that's I don't have the numbers on that. I don't think they publish those, but we can assume that let's say half a million to a million Americans are banned on Facebook as well. Um, content more frequently is banned on Facebook. Uh, and then you had kind of all the other companies that followed on. So PayPal, Venmo, which I think isn't Venmo owned by PayPal. I think so. Um, Wes is shrugging his shoulders. Yes, no. Um, uh, even like I think Teespring, which is a t-shirt e-commerce store started banning folks. Other players like PayPal, joined in these bands as well. And it really, it, this, this is, um, to me more frightening because banning somebody on social media, it's like, eh, you're taking away their pastime. They can't tweet big deal. Right. When you start getting into financial trans transactions being banned. So PayPal, Venmo, Square, uh, Chase Bank started canceling accounts of people that they deemed offensive or dangerous. Uh, Enrique Tario, I think, was banned from uh, Chase Bank. Laura Loomer had her online banking canceled from Chase Bank. Um, uh, I think uh, even, um, what, what is it, Stripe, which we mentioned earlier uh, that was canceling the Trump campaign's account, all that eliminates your ability to conduct business. And that is, that's where livelihood gets damaged. That's where, you know, people that make their living off of doing what they do, their activism, whether they're a um, uh, 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 commentator, uh, Candace Owens, for instance, uh, just a, a personality that, whether through contributions, uh, any kind of sponsorships, they make a living that way, um, especially take political campaigns. I, I can't recall of, actually there was, Enrique Torrio, who's the chairman of the Proud Boys, um, was denied um, a Stripe account and other accounts to be able to process donations for his campaign. He could not do online fundraising, which is, I'd say, 
80 to 90% of a campaign's fundraising today. Um, so he couldn't get his campaign, he was running for Congress for a brief period of time, couldn't get it off the ground because he had no way, aside from people mailing in or handing him a check, literally could not do anything. Um, then once you get past the financial institutions, you have uh, companies like Uber, and uh, you know, which is Uber Eats as well, Lyft, um, the, the smaller play players like the Teespring that I mentioned, starting banning people as well which is just jumping onto a bandwagon. Um, and there's really no point to it. Um, but again, these are private companies. They can conduct business whoever with whomever they want to conduct business with. But it's turned into, uh, people refer to it as a cancel culture now. Um, and it's, it's a very real thing. What's happened, and this is, I, I'm calling this the great purge of what's happened over really the last few days in particular, um, you've had leaders of Stop the Steal, which was, I'll just say it, a bullshit uh, move to convince Americans that the election was stolen and to rally. Those are the people that raided the Capitol, uh, the, the mob of people, they're being called terrorists, which is ridiculous, that went in and basically walked around the Capitol, shuffled around papers, broke some windows. I don't agree with what they did at all. Um, I don't agree that they're terrorists for what they did. They're just a mob that was incited. Um, but those folks initiated what is now the great purge where starting with Trump on down, Ali Alexander had his Twitter account removed, I believe last night, who had uh, close to 200,000 followers. Um, so there's, there's people that are just basically eliminated out of online existence through social media, through these bands, and it's gonna keep going. What's, and this, this just occurred, Wes comes in early every morning and said, hey, did you hear about the, uh, the no-fly list stuff? If you go and search now, you're gonna see all the videos of passengers being taken off planes, being arrested in terminals that were Trump supporters, I call them red hats, um, where they are literally uh, targeted by the FBI or the airlines and um, either arrested or told that they're no longer welcome on the flights. That is a dangerous thing to do, and I'll, I'll get into why, because it's not going to stop there. Um, once you start involving government organizations, the TSA, um, which maintains a no-fly list, I'm not sure if it's true that they're actually on the no-fly list or if they were causing disruptions, if they were... Um, you know, put on by airline, which is one report that I read. But if you're using government resources to discriminate pe against people for their political beliefs, that's where we're starting a very bad precedent. And it has happened in the past. Um, there have been, I think it was um, Ted Kennedy was put on the no-fly list accidentally and took him a very long time to get off, not because of political, political beliefs, but there's been others that have been placed on these lists um, simply because of who they are. Um, then you get into having your Second Amendment rights stripped, which you think, well, how do you make that jump? Pretty easily. James O'Keefe, um, founder of Project Veritas, uh, I believe it was last year, uh, was somehow notified that he had been red flagged. So he ended up in the National Instant Criminal Background Check System run by the FBI without a reason given. Uh, so he could no longer purchase or possess a firearm. You're not given notice when you're put into the NICS database. Typically, there's only a few criteria where you're prohibited federally from 
purchasing or possessing a firearm. You're a felon, you've been convicted of domestic violence, you've been adjudicated mentally unfit, and I think there's a maybe a few other things having to do with immigration, but it's a very short list. But if you take a look at the number of actual rejections uh, that the NIC pro NICS processes every year, there's um, a small category with only a few thousand people on it that are other. And those other are the people that were uh, deemed by some guy in the FBI or whoever it was that they should be on the list and they should not be allowed to possess a firearm. Um, so we've seen that happen with several. There's another announcement that's going to be coming up pretty soon of another individual that's put on the list. Um, but that is something that is government sponsored. Uh, it's not censorship anymore. Uh, it's discrimination. Um, to have your constitutional rights taken away because your political beliefs. Uh, I mean, I hate to make correlations to Nazi Germany, but that's what it is. And hopefully it doesn't happen on a large scale. But I would suspect that anybody that was at the Capitol on January 6th will somehow end up in that database without prosecution, um, without any kind of hearing or judge or adjudication, they're going to end up in that database. And it's not easy to get off. You have to hire an attorney. You have to spend tens of thousands of dollars to go through the process. And it takes a very long time if you're able to even do it. So there's a lot of stuff going on and moving so quickly right now, all as a result of, it's not really a result of what happened on January 6th, where the, the mob went into the, the Capitol. This is something that um, I wouldn't even say the left, but the establishment has been wanting to happen and just looking for a reason to do so. They're using that as an excuse to move forward and have basically purge all these folks and, and not just take them off social media, get them off airplanes, uh, cancel their banking, get rid of their gun rights, you name it, and it's going to go on and on and on. So it's, you know, uh, it's not just a slippery slope. It's a cliff that we're diving off of at rapid speed. And it's something that we've, you know, especially politicians have ignored for so long because it hasn't been happening to them. It's been happening to the Laura Loomers and the Milo Yiannopoulos and the Gavin McGinnises. It hasn't been happening to them. So they really don't care until it happens to them. Now it's happening to, to them as well. It happened to the president of the United States, a sitting president of the United States. Whether or not you agree with, you know, whether or not he should have his voice taken away, it's affecting all these other people that really don't have influence. The, the people that are just supporters that, you know, are all of a sudden put on this trajectory of going so far as having their Second Amendment rights stripped away. To, you know, you know have people show up at their door saying, you got to turn over your guns because you've been red flagged. That's an extreme situation, but it's very possible and it is going to start happening. You know, what we're seeing with uh, people being taken off airplanes, the next step, especially under Biden administration, is people are going to have FBI agents, local law enforcement knocking on their door and, um, you know, demanding they turn over their firearms. Or it could be when they go to purchase their next firearm, they're arrested because they're not legally, you know, they're legally prohibited from doing that and processing that transaction. So it goes on and on. And you have to think about what is the end goal of this? I don't think there is an end goal. I think this is intolerance in that, um, you know, for me, my, my partner, she is a liberal. Um, 
a rabid liberal, and it leads to a lot of interesting discussions that we have every single day. Um, but you know, the the most interesting thing that I've learned from her and talking to her family members or friends is the lack of understanding of the other side. For me, I prefer to talk to people that don't share my political views because I want to hear, I want to understand, and also I want to be able to persuade them. You're not going to change me. You're not going to change my views. I know where I stand. I know why I believe what I believe. My positions do change as evidence changes, but it's not going to, you know, you're not going to convince me that, you know, I don't want to live in a society that's free. That's, that's for sure. Um, but one thing I notice on the left um, through these daily discussions is that there is very little tolerance or very little interest in understanding the other side of you. Um, so that, you know, I asked Wes this this morning, you know, has Enrique, the chairman of the Proud Boys, ever sat down with a leader from Antifa and vice versa? Have they ever had a discussion to discuss, you know, talk about why they hate each other so much, why they disagree on or appear to disagree on everything, I'd argue that they probably end up agreeing on more that they disagree than they disagree on. It's just there's such a blockade and it's social media is a reason for this and that you have bubbles of thought. And that's been brought up in studies before where you have the left and the right and they refuse to even consider or see or in the case of social media, you don't have those bubbles crossing. You don't see the arguments from the other side. They don't see yours. You just know that you don't like them. They don't like you. That's that. And so it, it's by design and it may be intentional, may not be intentional. I don't know. But in the end, it's really about the intolerance that each side has for each other. I'd argue it's more prevalent on the left, but in regards to social media, there's a more important reason why all this stuff happens. And this is something that I don't think I've really heard anybody else bring up. Social media bans are not because it's a bunch of liberals, you know, at Facebook and Twitter that, that don't want all this being heard. They simply don't want the discourse. They don't want the fighting. They don't want the threats. They don't want the animosity on their platforms. Why? Big reason, Procter & Gamble, $6.75 billion expenditure on online advertising just last year alone. That's why. The advertisers don't want this. The advertisers want pictures of puppies and vacation photos and just friendly discussions about the weather and family and things like that next to their advertisements. They don't want negative associations where uh, uh, a picture of uh, or an ad for Tide or Pampers or whatever you know consumer product goods they're selling is next to political discourse. That's what it comes down to. P&G, the, the CEO and the, the chief content officer, I believe, um, they went public saying they don't want to be associated with this. They want more censorship. They want stricter platforms to control this, or they're going to they're going to pull their funding, and they have. Uh, one year they pulled their advertising completely off YouTube until they created basically more policies that diminished uh, content political speech. So it's happened. And in the end, these are companies. It's not that they don't want to associate with you. They don't want to hurt their bottom line. It's the advertisers that don't want to see this. 
And you can argue, well, as Procter and Gamble, uh, is it their liberal sensitivities or is it whatever corporations? I'd argue, yeah, to a degree. I mean, you have these, what was it, the uh, toxic masculinity campaign, which is Gillette, Procter and Gamble. Um, they're creating out of Madison Avenue these campaigns that um, are trying to control or direct a social narrative. And there's no monetary gain to it. That toxic masculinity campaign lost them more market share than it gained. Um, you see the same thing with the NFL in, in promoting Black Lives Matter. They choose to get involved in political discussions um, and take a certain side on it. But when it comes down to debating the issue, they don't want to see any debate. So that's what it comes down to in the end with social media. It's the advertisers controlling the narrative, pushing their genders, agendas, and it's the platforms protecting their bottom line and revenue streams. Beyond that, when you get into government, TSA, FBI, whatever, uh, you know, pushing any type of discrimination against an individual, that's where things get very da dangerous. But they're kind of being led by these corporations that are getting away with it now. I'd say, you know, for today, we have a lot more to discuss going forward. We're going to call it today, see what happens tomorrow. We'll come back in a few more days, talk about a little bit more, get more into the MAGA movement, um, the Stop the Seal movement, the instigators behind that, and uh, kind of dive deep into how things devolve so quickly. But thanks for watching. We'll see you soon.